Living Adventurously is brought to you in partnership with Kamut, the route planning and navigation app that helps you make the most of your outdoor adventures. Whether you're cycling, hiking, running or bikepacking, Kamut's easy to use technology will get you out the door and exploring more of the great outdoors. You can see where I've been exploring by checking out the highlights of my journey on Kamut. Just follow the link in the show notes. My name is Alistair Humphreys. I set out on a bicycle journey around Yorkshire to speak to interesting, ordinary people who, in very different ways, are making an effort to live adventurously. I wanted to talk about what they do, about the barriers they've faced along the way, and to seek their perspective on some of the big questions that all of us encounter in our lives. Welcome to Living Adventurously. <laughs> I've written here, needs intro music. Um, okay, here we go. Um... <laughs> That'll do. My interview with David Oakes got off to a surreal start when we were interrupted by a rambling, ranting conspiracy theorist for several minutes. Eventually, we got rid of him. But we were also foiled in our attempts to find anywhere quiet to sit away from the runners and enthusiastic supporters of a 10k fun run through York. Sitting then and settling for a perch beside the River Ouse, I mentioned that I really fancied a coffee and David graciously donated his own that he'd brought along with him in a thermal mug. Thank you, sir. Um, prior to interviewing David, I'd actually been interviewed by him for his natural history podcast, Trees A Crowd. David is an actor who played Prince Ernest in ITV's Victoria, and he's currently playing Hamlet at Shakespeare's Rose Theatre in York. David, you're a veteran podcaster. You've been doing it for literally months. Literally months. Whereas I've been doing it for two weeks. So what advice do you have for me about how to ask good questions? Uh, well, that's a very good question. Um, I think it's just have a chat. I mean, everyone has a different format. I think that's the question. Um, my podcast is a sort of rambly, chatty one. Um, other people's are sort of more direct. Mine's quite a long format. It's about 45 minutes to an hour every episode. Um, and... Personally, the ones I like to listen to are a bit shorter. <laughs> right. Um, but that's not what my one's about. My one's about just trying to sort of explore the hidden areas of different people and you can't get to those quickly. Oh, man. We're going to have a lot of clapping. We're going to have a lot of clapping. I'm just going to carry on with the clapping. We can imagine they're all clapping you on stage. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're, uh, you're an actor. Mm-hmm. Full-time? Full-time. It is my job. Have um, you ever had a proper job? Um, yeah, I have. I, when I, well, where, uh, so when I was at university, I had some bits and bobs. I worked in a Ticketmaster call centre for seven months. That was hell. Um, I worked out that it was less depressing to work through your lunch break than to have an hour off and then to have to go back to doing that job. <laughs> um um, and only in the first year, I guess, of my acting, professional acting career, have I, did I need to do stuff to supplement my salary. But so far, touch wood, 
um, I earn all my income from my performing. Okay. So presumably, though, when you were wanting to be an actor, you were faced with people saying things like, oh, that's lovely. Give it a nice try. Have a bit of fun. And then you'll get a proper job. Did, did you encounter that? I was blessed with parents who had followed their dreams. So mum's a musician and dad's was an accountant, but then became a vicar. Um, so gave up what would have been a lucrative career for something that was uh, emotionally, spiritually more rewarding. And I think the two of them are both performative careers and both of them get a sense of dopamine-enthused catharsis from, from the act of doing it. So they were very supportive of me doing it, but I, I got a proper degree first, so I've got an English degree, um, which didn't help at all. <laughs> but did, did, you slight, did you get that slightly because you thought it was a sort of safety net? So I'll get, a, I'll get a degree so that I can go and get a proper job if this doesn't work out, or were you more confident than that? I never knew what a proper job really was supposed to be. I never had a particular drive. I always just liked telling stories. So the university thing was just, that's what you did. Our school was a good school, uh, grammar school down in Salisbury, and everyone went to university afterwards. They did three years, and then they got a job, and that was it. Like, I, you didn't question what it was going to be. You just did it and presumed that something would happen. And I guess that's kind of what did happen, albeit there was two years of drama school after three years of university. So you, you had this idea that you wanted to be an actor and you started down that line towards it. Um, did, you have, um, did you have doubts about whether you would be able to make it your career? Yeah, definitely. And, and what were they? Uh, just, just would you get the work? Would it, be, would it pay enough? I mean, there were 12 of us in our course at Bristol at the Old Vic where I trained and I'd say half of them have given up now I think around that level and most of them do other stuff there's maybe two or three of us that make a living purely from acting now um, and everyone has sort of downscaled their life to an extent to cater for the amount of money that comes in um, I've probably got one of the more high-profile careers to date, but there's no reason to say that that won't flip and that people who haven't been doing much TV or film work for the last 15 years will then suddenly get their break and they'll be off and doing it. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Yeah. It's not that I'm better. Yeah. It's the fact that I was luckier earlier. Okay. Um, so the th I'm really, one thing I'm really interested in is people who have these dreams of doing x y and z mm -hmm. and this place in life they want to get to there and so often i think it's the stuff inside our head that stops us doing that so was what do you you seem like a very confident person i'm wondering did you always think that yeah i can i can make this happen or did you doubt whether it would be something you could turn into a viable career um was there doubt yeah, I guess there still is. Um, the thing that I find increasingly useful when I have slightly more doubtful moments is the fact that it's worked so far. Um, and so if it's worked for 15 years, why can't it work for another 15 years? It's a shame, though, isn't it, that you can only get that confidence by the doing. So yeah. I, I often think now the confidence I have now for the stuff I do would have been gold dust have had. 20 years ago, yeah. but it's, it doesn't go that way, sadly. If you could go back to me at drama school and say, for the next 15 years, you will do that TV show there, you'll be doing that film over there, you'll be playing Hamlet over there, 
um, I would be very happy and I'd go, great, those 15 years are going to be fun. And I wouldn't have had any of the anxiety and any of the doubt. And um, also probably I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. Like the un like everyone says, well, have, you, have you always wanted to play Hamlet is a question that actors get. I have never wanted to play Hamlet. When I got offered Hamlet about four months back, I was like, okay, well, I guess I should do that because actors are supposed to want to do that. And only through the act of doing it has it, have I found the rewards from it. And, and they're sort of endless. Like it's, it's, it's great fun to do, but it's, it was never on a bucket list. And so it's, it's those things of the unknown. I didn't know I wanted to do it until I did it. Um, what do I want to do next? I have absolutely no idea. Um, and I look forward to finding out what it is. And do you like, yeah, um, I think quite a lot of people would find that unsettling, the not knowing mm. what is coming um, and not knowing what you'll be doing in five or ten years. Well, that's what I love about your micro-adventures is it takes people who perhaps live that traditional nine-to-five lifestyle and says you can augment it in really easy, simple ways. One of my favourite ones that you talk about is the the going to work and then disappearing and sleeping rough for a night and then going back to work with a crumpled up suit. And I think that's a wonderful idea. Um, and I hope people do it. I really do hope people do it. And I'm sure some people have. And it's that thing of... of you should do it. Yeah, I could. I could. I mean, if you see what the facilities are backstage at the theatre, you might suggest that that's a bit like living rough. Okay. <laughs> um, but um, yeah. Yeah, maybe at some point in the run, I'll do that and I'll let you know. I'll find some people clapping by a street and then record you an interview. <laughs> yes, <laughs> by proxy. all applauding us. So when you stand on stage mm-hmm. here in York, you've been doing it for a few months now, yeah. um, doing Hamlet, and you stand there, those star-crossed lovers. That's Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> um, do you think, I'm good at this, I deserve to be Hamlet in a big production, or are you thinking... Oh, goodness, what on earth am I doing? Someday I'm going to get found out. I was talking to my stepsister and brother-in-law last night who are up and about to go meet for breakfast um, about it. And I don't know if I'm any good. I I mean that genuinely. That's not modesty. Um, I know that I'm better than some people. And I know that I'm not as good as other people. Um, But I don't know if my Hamlet is where it stands on that scale. I know, I know things that it's, I know it's particularly clear. I know that the emotional journey is, is well constructed. Do I doubt that I'm good? It's not useful, I would suggest. I mean, I sit there, I stand there and I do it and I play with the audience. The great thing about doing it here in the open air at the Rose Theatre is that you can see the audience. So you know if they're interested and you, and you know if they're bored. You know that very easily. Um, and so you, you temper your performance accordingly. If they're yawning, if they want to leave, uh, you change your performance a little bit. Um, and that's, that's the kind of thing. But I, I don't doubt people are paying to come and see it and they're enjoying it. People say they like it at the end. So, Do you put, Would you prefer to... Uh, perform to a crowd of 10 or a 1,000? Crowd, not an audience, sorry. This particular show? Or... In general, which, which is more scary? Or are any of them scary? It's the same. Is it the same? Yeah. So I do talks, mm-hmm. and 
I had to do a talk recently to six people and I found that terrifying and I've talked to more than a thousand. I find that totally fine because it's just blank, anonymous faces. Um, I personally really like performing in venues where you can see the whites of their eyes, that you can see the emotional response upon the audience member and that you can then play with that. So you can wind them up, you can make them laugh, you can make them cry, and you can you can single that person out and you can ridicule them or praise them. There's a couple of sort of audience participation-y bits in, in Hamlet that we do here, which I find hugely rewarding, instant gratification. Um, I find doing work on a proscenium arch in a theatre where you can't see the audience uh, a little bit cold in those regards, but you can still feel the, the laughter and the applause and the gasps and whatever, but it's not quite as rewarding. Um, and then in TV and film, you don't get any of that. Just what the director's saying, that was good. Yeah, and you never believe them. Okay, um, yeah. yeah, you were telling me this morning that you were in Victoria, mm-hmm. which is a great success. I didn't watch any of it. <laughs> um, but you're saying you and your friends would get around and watch it, and you don't know if your scene's going to be on. Yeah, you, the scene might have been cut it partially, it might be removed entirely. It's brutal. It's brutal. Um, I, I, I personally think that an actor is only really an actor if they enjoy doing theatre. And I know that's damning to a lot of screen actors, but there is something more rewarding about theatre. There really is. And, I'm, and I think the best actors do a bit of both and go back and forth. And what you learn on stage, you can apply on screen and vice versa. Would you say that someone who's been in a TV advert is an actor? Yeah. Thank you. Have you been in a TV advert? Uh-huh. For cider. Really? Yeah. Awesome. Which one? Are <laughs> you going to get extra money if you mention it? Um, Stoford Press. Okay, that's not, that's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I don't... I, do I think you need to train to be an actor? No. Do I think you will be better at acting if you train? Yes. Um, do you need to have any experience to be an adventurer? No. Will you have more interesting adventures if you have more experience being an adventurer? Yes. So there are probably... 10,000 people in this country, well, sorry, you, I might be uh, presumptuous insulting here, but I reckon there are probably 10,000 people in this country who could do what you do here at least as well as you, but they don't because they're accountants and teachers and fishermen. Sure. Is that, is that fair? Or am I going to make you cry? Um, it dep- the, great, the single great thing about acting is that it is 100% subjective. So you're completely wrong. There is only one person that can do what I can do up there, and that is me. But there are 20 billion people on the planet who can do it, who could do it, and would do it completely differently from every single 19.9999 million people that are doing it. So, yeah, anyone can do it if they want to learn the lines and find someone who's prepared to put them on a stage to do it. Or you can do it on your own. Um, yeah, depends what you want to get out of it. So, for me, the idea of um, standing up and performing in a play, it'd be very high up with things I'd be deeply uncomfortable with doing and really hate to do. But I imagine that a lot of people who come to watch think, oh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. I wish I'd done that in my life, mm-hmm. but I haven't. So what do you think's the, uh, what do you think's an, um, that's an interesting plane. Yeah. Not that I'm very interested in planes, but it's quite cool. Um, what, what is it about 
this, I wish I could do that, I want to do that, but then they don't compared to people who actually go on and do it. What do you think, what do you think it is that helps you get on and do stuff? I think a lot of actors just did it as a kid and it's just part of what they were at a school play or a youth theatre or something just got them started and they kept doing it. Um, there was a guy at drama school, a guy called Dave Rumble, who was older than most of us. He was the oldest guy in the course. He was an ex-postman from Plymouth. Um, and there was something more powerful and potent by his decision to come and train in his late 30s. Had a family, had a couple of kids. That was really, I always found amazing that it was never too late in life to retrain, to repurpose, to retool and, and head off. And it maybe hasn't worked out in, as well as he had hoped at the time, but I, I doubt he regrets a moment of it. And he's since performed on professional stages and a bit of TV work as well, I think. And I mean, that's, I don't know what it is that makes you want to change your life. And it could be something immensely personal or it could be something you want to prove to your family or to your friends or whatever. But I, I think trying something different every day, what is it, do everything, do something every day that scares you. Um, I find Hamlet intimidating every day I do it. And I get something different out of it every time. But every time, every now and again, I feel guilty because I'm tired and I don't want to do it. And I feel like I should just get up there and be like for all of, for the other 20,000 people in this country who could do it as well as I am. Uh, I owe a responsibility of, of care to them to actually get up and do my best. Do you, do you, um, acting to me seems like from the outside, like one of those things where you just sort of flounce around all day poncing about <laughs> in a coffee shop and then go on stage to huge adulation of men wanting to be you and women wanting to be with you and it's just wonderful but presumably behind the scenes there's quite a bit of hard work to no, make it happen. No, it's just sex, drugs and rock and roll. It is, yeah, is it? Am I that. in the wrong job? Yeah, completely. Okay. No, it's getting up at seven o'clock in the morning and uh, giving your coffee to adventurers you meet on Topaz. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I drank your coffee. <laughs> yeah. But what I'm interested, the thing, the aspect I'm interested in is people often say oh you're an adventure that must be so fun and I do love it but there's a lot of um, grind goes into making it look like I'm just on holiday all the time mm -hmm. um, oh yeah the, the there's work. a lot of drudgery and work to what you do oh it's awful you spend most of your career out of work you you spend most of your time in work trying to prove to people that you deserve to work and then they tell you you can't like the rejection, the constant auditioning, the, and that never gets easier. Um, you're always on a list of people to do a job. Like, even Johnny Depp's on a list of people. And he used to be at the top of the list, and now he's not. And that must be hugely disheartening. Uh, if I could wish any actor anything, it would be that their career always just steadily improves slowly throughout their life, and they never get to a point where they're the most famous actor in the world, because then the only way from there is down. Um, the, there's a huge amount of misery in it. The, the way I, the way I temper that, personally, um, is I enjoy my life in between the jobs. I don't live to work. Um, I work to live. So I, I go mountain climbing in the Lake District very often. Uh, I've done a fair amount of scuba diving lately, which I've really enjoyed. Um, I greatly enjoy taking work that's in odd places. So I really love Yorkshire, and I love York, and I. We'd filmed Victoria up in, in Yorkshire around Harrogate. Um, so to come back here again has been lovely. And one of the reasons why I took the job was because it was here. I filmed in Eastern Europe for years at a time. I've, we did a wonderful film 
which we shot predominantly on the cliffs of the west coast of Lanzarote. And we'd wake up and I'd be in makeup as the sun rose and we'd do the makeup out on the cliffs instead of in the makeup truck because it was just lovely to be outside and the, as the sun came over the horizon and warmed your face. It was amazing. So that th those parts sound um, great and I suppose that's part of the, the rewards for all. But the, the periods of rejection, I mean, it's a bit hard, it's hard for you, I guess now for you to think because you've now... You're at a fairly established point where you're making, you're make, as in you're making a, a career out yeah, of it. If you, can you go back to the early days of, say, when you first got your first paid job and you thought, mm -hmm. yes, great, and then you have a period of rejection for a few months? How does, how does uh, you, that You feel? speak as if I don't get that anymore. But I mean, I, I've just had a, a not a huge gap, but a, a four-month gap where nothing was coming through, okay. and there'll be a gap after this probably for a little bit. And do you worry in those gaps? Yeah, but you learn not to. Okay, so how did you, when you first got the first big gap, um, how was that then compared to now when you have a bit of confidence that it'll probably come back? That first gap, I had to get a part-time job. Okay. And that job itself gave you purpose, and the act of earning money to live gives everything purpose. The only thing that made me particularly miserable at the time was comparing myself to people who were doing what I wanted to do and looking at successful, in inverted commas, actors who were also dealing with their own misery and despair. To realize that everyone is down and that that is literally just the only downside to the human condition, if you're lucky, is, is, a, is a fairly useful thought. It's not schadenfreude, it's not taking joy in others' despairs, it's sort of unifying yourself alongside your compadres but um did i do anything exercise really helped um not being a gym bunny or anything like that but just sort of getting out and going for a walk every day i had i had a rule which i still abide by which is leave the house every day okay even if you've got a hangover yeah. <laughs> and you can't face it even if it's just going to the shop get out of the house because you might meet uh a conspiracy theorist with a billion views. You need him in your set. He'll get him into. You need to get into his next movie. I mean, like, it's what, yeah. what time is it? Ten. It's just gone ten o'clock, and I mean, my days are pretty busy at the moment because I'm on stage and I do a, a, a play. But like, it's, I've been up for three hours now. I've recorded. This is my second podcast of the yeah. day. Um, we've seen wonderful birds. Uh, one of the, one of the. One of the most interesting podcasts that I've done, other than our most recent one, was uh, with a sound recordist called Chris Watson. So I travelled up to Newcastle the night before, and he picked me up at half past four in the morning from my hotel. And we went out into Kiel de Forest, and we recorded the Dawn Chorus. Um, I'd never... I mean, I'd sat up and heard the Dawn Chorus before, but I'd never recorded it. And to do it with someone who'd done it frequently and to chat to him afterwards about it, and... Did, it is the little adventures of life that make it worth living. And maybe it's just because I've read your book recently that I'm sort of Got that pushing this. But it, it, it is, don't do something every day that scares you. Just do something a little bit different every day. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, one of the things I'm uh, doing going around Yorkshire is asking people various questions about life. Mm -hmm. And it's quite interesting to get people's different take on it. So I've got a stack of cards here with some questions. Okay. Just do a couple of minutes of these if that's all right. Yeah, let's go. So take a card. Give me your best shot. Ignore it if you don't want to do it. What is enough? I've, I've never had it. I've never achieved it. Uh, so I have absolutely no idea. And I suspect that it doesn't exist. 
Would you like it to exist? I would love to be 100% content, but I would imagine being 100% content would mean that you would be discontented. Okay. <laughs> I'm speaking in Confucius riddles. Do you wish you had more freedom? Yes. Um, do I think that money... There was an interesting quote I read the other day, which was, um, an excess of money doesn't bring happiness, but a lack of money brings unhappiness. Yeah, I think that's very true. And I think for any time people say, oh, I don't need money in life, that's, they, we, I, am speaking from a position of comfort for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then, then there's those studies, aren't there, that you need an income of X. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what it is. And then beyond that doesn't make much difference. Yeah. And, and I think if I you're in that sweet spot, then you get that freedom with that, I yeah. think. And I feel, so I had years of struggling for work and will anyone ever do anything uh, really worrying 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 and I'm now at a position of sort of stability whereby I know I get sufficient talks and sell enough books and I'm fine I'm not a millionaire but fine and that what that's done is it's just removed money from my head now mm -hmm. which is such a privileged position to yeah. be in I think if you had one extra hour every day all to yourself how would you spend it Oh, that's a good one. Um, my instant reaction was to say I would make it my reading hour and I'd read a, read, read a book every hour, every day. But I think I'd do nothing. I think I'd go and sit outside somewhere quiet in a field or just take an hour, not to meditate, but just to, to ruminate and to just sort of allow society to not exist for that hour and to indulge whatever emotion I was feeling, whether I was happy or unhappy, um, just admit that I exist in that hour. That's what I do. Okay. Very wise. I'm not sure it's wise. Ooh, that's got nothing on it. They're the Zen questions. Yeah, there's nothing on them. <laughs> I've got some blanks in case I think of any good questions along the way. I think we've hit a, a we hit the patch of blanks. blanks. Cut the pack. All right, okay, here we go again. No, we've, oh, man. This is like a, this is a magic trick. <laughs> okay. What are you doing at times you feel that you are being a good parent partner? What are you doing at times you feel that you're being a good partner, parent, simply friend? Okay. I guess, so what do you, I guess the question is what, what do I think I'm doing well when I'm supporting someone? Yeah. Listening. Yeah. Realizing that all of the existential doubts, all of the emotions, all of the personal narrative that I believe I have got that gives myself more value than any other human being in the world is exactly the same experience that everyone else is going through. To, to get to a point where you understand that everyone exists like this in our funny little heads, that they're not an imaginary construct to serve you, that's a huge moment in your life when you get there. And I think then to listen, not necessarily to indulge, but to support someone else's own moment-to-moment -moment needs is is the thing you do and if you're doing it well enough then hopefully they will reciprocate and listen back to you thank you just do a couple more what advice can you give me so that i look back on my life with satisfaction rather than regrets i think keeping a journal is really good do you do that i do um digital or paper both depending on where I am. And I don't do it religiously, and I wish I did, but I don't. Um, 
I keep a show journal when I'm in a, in, a, in a play, so I write up my notes of what I thought the play was every day. Do you? And that is, is that a normal actor thing to do? No, but it's, it's what I do. And there's another guy in the company, Alex, does it as well. And it's, sometimes it's stage notes about what went well and what didn't went well. Sometimes it's personal things that feed into it. One of the things that I've done at the moment is um, I'm separated from my partner at the moment because of I'm here and she's over there. And for the duration of the job, and we're three and a bit months into it, I've written her a postcard every day. Um, so I haven't kept and, and a ju- to post or just yeah, yeah. yeah. They've, they've all been posted. Um, two went in the post post box today because I was drunk the other night and forgot to send it. Um, and I haven't kept the journal because that's what my thoughts are. And it doesn't need to be like I woke up at six o'clock and had breakfast. Like it's not. It's just a, a moment in time to record it. And <laughs> what winds her up is I've sent them second class. But what I love is that more time passes between the writing and the receiving of it than would normally happen. And so if I've written a sort of a a message of support, um, it proves that it was irrelevant three days later and that angst of that day has evaporated in in a heartbeat. And I- That's really nice. Yeah, make a written report. And when you're feeling really, really fucking down and you just had your heart broken or you didn't get that job you wanted, and you can go back and read something in your journal from a decade ago where the last woman broke your heart. Um, you can then remember that you recovered and everything was fine. And perspective is an amazing gift. And you can get that through reading or viewing other people's work, or you can get it by keeping a record of your own existence and every now and again, not in huge amounts, not dwelling on it, not indulging the past, but just to let it push you back on course. That's a really nice idea. And I guess you keep a journal, but you just publish them. Yeah, but also I use a thing, it's called maildiary.net. Sends me an email every day, 8pm, and I reply to it with, and it's a diary. It turns it into some sort of internet diary. And sometimes I ignore it for a week. Uh, But what's good is it tells you... Just gives you that... Yeah, the jolt. And at the bottom, though, it says the last thing you wrote, which isn't that interesting, but it also shows you a random thing. And I've been doing it for about 10 years, so the random... boom. What's that called? maildiary.net okay you're not worried that your diary is being stored somewhere in the in the cloud I use a Chinese phone that's okay <laughs> yeah oh they know everything exactly um, tell me about the last time you climbed a tree or swam in a river or watched the sunset from a hilltop I do it all the time <laughs> uh, so what was I, the last time the last time Last week, I, where was I? We were up at, I spoke about it on my podcast a moment ago. Um, I was up at Lake Gormier, uh, which is just on the edge of the North Yorkshire Moors. Beautiful little walk down into an old disused quarry that's flooded and beautiful. Uh, lots of damselflies, dragonflies hovering above the water. Um, not too swampy a, a bottom of it. And... Uh, I'd never swum with my dog. Um, and I did. And it was awesome. That was the thrill of it. I've watched her jump in a, a lake, in a river, in the sea constantly, but I'd never swum with her. And that was awesome. That's brilliant. Well, I think that's a perfect point to end on. Um, the boats are going up and down, the runners are running. This man has caught one very small fish. (laughs) It's a good morning.
It's uh, gorgeous, isn't it? Thank you very much for taking time to meet me. Thank I enjoyed you very chatting. Much indeed. Best of luck with the rest of Yorkshire. Thank you. Cheers. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living Adventurously. There's show notes from every episode on my website, alistairhumphreys.com slash podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please take a screenshot of your phone and pop it up on social media or leave a review with your podcast provider. It makes a massive difference. Thank you very much. To make this podcast happen, I teamed up with Kamut the outdoor planning and navigation app that helps you explore more of the great outdoors. One of the many ways Kamut helps you have better adventures is through their highlights feature. Kamut highlights are recommendations from local adventurers in the area you want to explore. They could be a great cafe, a particularly beautiful stretch of trail, a lookout point or a well-stocked shop. These recommendations appear on the map as highlights, large red dots for popular highlights, those with lots of additional information and images, or small red dots for highlights that have fewer comments and images. Inside the hint, the size of the dot doesn't necessarily correspond to the quality of the highlight in real life. It only indicates how many people have visited the highlight before you. Perhaps it's a little less visited and therefore all the more special. Your very own outdoor experiences and some inspiring highlights are waiting for you. Go explore more with Kamut. Head to kamut.com g and use the voucher code ADVENTUROUS to claim your free region bundle.